This is the sermon from Reverend Dr. Bob John, pastor of Aldersgate United Methodist Church in Chelmsford, Massachusetts. We hope you are blessed with this message today. If you are seeking a church family, we are located at 242 Boston Road. Our worship services are at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. on Sundays. May God bless you and your family this day and give you peace. The Gospel reading this morning can be found on page 35 in the Pew Bibles if you want to follow along. Those that are able, please stand. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. He cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. Well, he answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be accepted on thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. About a month ago, uh, my son Daniel was expressing some pain with the breathing and he was constantly coughing. He has been dealing with asthma since he was a kid, as I also did when I was a kid. So I'm kind of hoping that he will outgrow that uh, as I did. But usually from an inhaler, his symptoms kind of goes away. He gets better. But this time was different. It was just he was getting worse and worse. So in the morning, I brought him to the urgent care in Chelmsford. You know, that I thought that he was going to be better after he was given the nebulizer treatment and some steroid. You know, it helps him, his lungs to open up so they can breathe better. But he was still not feeling better. So in the afternoon, I brought him to his, see, he's a pediatric doctor in, in the afternoon. And I thought that he'll feel better eventually. But at night, he just could not breathe and he was crying in pain. So I brought him to the emergency room. Uh, in a Lowell General Hospital. When we got there, the lobby was just full of people, young and old, men and women, every skin color and, and different religions. Yeah, I was afraid it probably might take more than like an hour before he could be seen by a doctor. Thankfully, he was admitted to a 
a room within 15 minutes, and he was given a stronger steroid this time, and given another nebulizer treatment. And also he was taken to x-ray room to make sure that he had a pneumonia. After staying in the room for about five hours, we were finally discharged at like two o'clock in the morning. As we were coming out of the emergency, I still saw many people in the lobby waiting to be seen, including a mother holding her crying child. Everyone came to the emergency that night with something in common. Everyone was either sick or caring for their sick family or friend. I know that tending to a, a child with asthma is exhausting. But compared with many other serious, serious illnesses that these people are probably dealing with, you know, I thought that asthma just was minor. But let's assume that there is a doctor who can cure every illness or disease, regardless of what that is. It could be something physical, something mental or psychological or emotional. If there's someone out there who could not only give you the most accurate diagnosis, but also cure every disease or illness, what would, would you ask this doctor to help you with, or your family member with? Cancer, diabetes, heart disease, dementia or Alzheimer's, depression or anxiety. But think about this way, if you are that miraculous doctor, think about all the fame, wealth, and power you can get from being that doctor. You know, it is said that back in 2022, the Pfizer company earned a record $100 billion, not million dollars, billion dollars, just in 2022, and more than half of that came from the sale of the vaccines and, and the Paxil of it. So imagine that you are the doctor who can cure every illness and disease, and maybe the TV and the news media will want to interview you, calling you the, the miracle woman or miracle man. You'll be on the cover of every major magazine being recognized and praised everywhere you go. All the hospitals and major medical schools want to offer you a tenure or the positions. The politicians notice your fame and want to recruit you to their party, promising that you'll be their leader or maybe the next presidential candidate in the election. All these are probably available that Jesus was healing those who were sick, even uh, curing and driving the demon out. But instead of being surrounded by the crowd, enjoying the praise and affirmation from the people for his miraculous works, or being promoted to be their governor or their leader, Jesus got up while it was still dark early in the morning went out to a deserted place, and there 
the Gospels say he prayed to God. In other words, he actively sought solitude, a time to be alone with God. I mean, if you think about it, how, just think about how exhausted he was every day, walking with his feet and meeting people and healing and conversing with his disciples. Maybe he could have slept like other disciples that night, saving some energy for the works the next day. Or he could have like a committee meeting with his disciples to do their work more effectively with a better strategy. However, Jesus simply sought a place and time alone, alone with God, so that he could pray to God. He sought solitude. This is a very strange thing for us to hear. Because many of us do not necessarily seek solitude, at least actively. We just find ourselves alone. We find ourselves alone when we are driving our cars to some places. We find ourselves alone when we take a shower. We find ourselves alone when we drop our children at the school. We find ourselves alone when we walk the trail for some fresh air or exercise. But many of us, we do not necessarily seek solitude because we do not want to be alone. And Paul Tillich, a theologian in the 20th century, says, we are finite creatures with the fear not being loved or the fear of being forgotten by others. So we are often desperate to surround us with uh, unnecessary noise or just, just meaningless relationship so that we can avoid loneliness. Again, when you come to the gospel story, you know, we hear that Jesus just spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness being tempted and wrestling with the hunger and thirst. If I were Jesus, the wilderness would be the last place I want to go back to, but he still he goes back to the wilderness even when he was gaining fame and possibly all the power, authority, and wealth, he's seeking solitude. And we can ask, why? Why does he need to go back to, to the wilderness? In the way of the heart, Henry Nouwen, he says, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. And Jesus himself entered into this furnace. And there he affirmed God as the only source of his identity, he says. You know, when he was baptized, there was a voice from heaven that said, You are my beloved son, with whom I'm very well pleased. And even Jesus, in the midst of the business, being busy with the people and all the work that he had to do, he needed to be alone. He needed to be reminded of who he was. He needed to remember what he was doing and why he was doing what he was doing. They all happened through prayers. Thomas Long, a retired professor of preaching, shares a story when he was teaching at Princeton University. Some years ago, he was serving on a committee called the Princeton University Chaplains 
Advisory Council. And both faculties and chaplains met once per year to hear about their work. One year, during the question and answer time, and all the members of the council asked the chaplains, so tell us, what are the students like these days morally? And the chaplains were looking at each other, wondering who was going to be the first to speak. And finally, the Methodist chaplain said, well, I think you'd be very pleased to hear this. Our young students, they are very ambitious in their careers, but that's not all they are about. A lot of them tutor kids after school. Some work in the night shelter and the soup kitchen for the homeless people. Last week, a group of uh, you know, students protested the racism and apartheid in South Africa. As she talked and continued on, a Jewish chaplain smiled. The more she talked, the bigger he smiled. Until finally, this Methodist chaplain had to say, Ed, am I saying something funny to you? And he replied, no, no, I'm sorry, sorry about that. I just was sitting here thinking, you're saying that the students are good people, and you probably, you're right. And you're saying that they are involved in many good social causes, and they are. But what I was thinking is that the one thing they lack is a vision of salvation. If you don't have some vision of what God is doing to repair the whole creation, you can't get up every day and work in the soup kitchen because it finally beats you down. I believe that that's why Jesus also left his disciples and even the crowd and went to a deserted place in the morning. It's not that good works such as healing the sick or food, feeding the hungry, uh, they're not as important as the faith grows, such as worship, prayer, fasting, reading the Bible. But somehow, in the midst of all that you're doing today, if you don't stop to reflect who we are, what we do, and why we are here, it is easy to forget our purposes, the purpose of being and also hope that somehow our works will make a difference in the end. And solitude provides us with a time and place in which we realize that we are not our own, but we are participating in a bigger plan of God, who is already out there working actively for our salvation and the salvation of the world today, as God has already done so through the life and death and resurrection of Christ. So when the disciples finally found Jesus praying in a deserted place, they said, everyone is searching for you. Of course they're searching for him because they want more healing and they want to see more miracles from Jesus. But he does not stay there because he knew his purpose. And he follows the will of God. He says, let's go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came here to do. So he went throughout Galilee, healing the sick, teaching at the synagogues, casting out the demons, but still seeking solitude often, going to a deserted place to pray to God 
who gave him the strength, reminded him who he was. From time to time, many of us, we feel lonely and we feel separated from one another. It's our human condition that no one can truly know or understand what each one of us is going through today. But we can turn the time of being alone or lonely into a time of solitude in which we actively seek the presence of God. In a world surrounded by many harmful messages or noises that tell us that we are not good enough, we are not beautiful enough, we are not smart enough, we are not strong enough. Solitude helps us reduce all those sounds so we can finally hear the gentle voice of God who calls us God's beloved and sends us to the world to heal the wounded and proclaim that the kingdom of God is here as we feed the hungry, heal the sick, forgive one another, and drive demons out in Jesus' name. You know, Eldersgate is my fourth church as pastor. And when I get a call from my district superintendent saying that our bishop intends to appoint me to, appoint me to some church somewhere, you know, I get nervous, easily, not knowing much about that church I'm going to, or the fear of uncertain future stress of packing, unpacking, and moving, and sadness saying goodbye to people that I've grown to love. By the way, I'm not saying I'm moving to another church this year. <laughs> but I'm saying this so that somehow you can relate to that. When you feel like you're dealing with unknown future, dealing with unexpected changes in your life, moving to a new place, changes with your family, changes with your job, changes in your health or your family member's health. And whenever I am called to move to a new church, facing a new future, there's a prayer that I found very helpful, written by Thomas Merton. And I'm going to pray this prayer with you and close my sermon this morning. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you doesn't in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me. And you will never leave me to face my perils alone.